This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Monday, February 5th, 2024. Dornall, how was your week? Hey, uh, my week's been pretty good. I'll not say it's very exciting, but uh, that's a good thing nowadays. Uh, got back to dungeon mastering a couple of weeks ago. I know we haven't talked about that. Uh, our our weekly games. Uh, so did you. That was nice to get back uh, behind the screen. I bet. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Good. Good. Was I supposed um, to say something more? <clears throat> just just making sure that. Uh, you didn't pass out from the sheer awesomeness of your intro that you didn't just pass out from all the energy. Um, I'm trying to remember all the things that I want to talk about before we get into the subject of the show. Yeah, There's a few little things to talk about. Um, I'm not going to talk anymore about D and D go ahead and check out uh, my post at dornal.blogspot.com. Uh, some interesting thing ha- things happened last time we played and uh, we broke a little bit with tradition with uh, with a little bit of a shopping trip after what could be, one could accuse me of uh, playing around with the one-to-one time rules, um, which once again, that may, be, may earn me a demerit or maybe I'll lose my dungeon mastering privileges. Uh, but some interesting things came up. So, uh, you know, you can read about it there. Um, we've got lots of little stuff to talk about, so. Um, should, one of, should we start off with Carl? Yeah, I was about to say one of the one of the things that happened this week. Uh, we lost a, a great um, actor and cultural icon, Carl Weathers. Uh, played Apollo Creed and Rocky. That was his breakout, and uh, he was also in Predator and a bunch of other stuff. Um, the, according to the news, he passed away this week. Uh, he was seventy six. Passed away peacefully in his sleep. Um, and it's sad. I really like Carl Weathers and all the things I saw him in. Uh, he was just legendary in, in Predator. I mean, absolutely legendary in Predator. Um, and uh, I haven't seen the Rocky movie, movies as often as I have seen Predator, but I went on a Sylvester Stallone kick a few years ago and watched all of... Uh, the Rambo movies, and then all of the Rocky movies. And he was just fabulous in those two. Uh, and then, of course, when I was watching The Mandalorian for the show here, um, he showed up in, in uh, Season of the Mandalorian. And it was, the character itself wasn't a great character, but he knocked it out of the park. Um, he just did a fabulous job in that show. So... Um, he took what was, you know, above average writing and just ramped it up to where the character was, was great and fun in the show. Uh, absolute, uh, professional, amazing guy. Um, you can, you can find, uh, Arnold's heartfelt reaction and Sylvester Stallone's heartfelt reaction. Uh, he was truly loved throughout the, uh, in the, throughout the industry and, uh, He'll be missed. 
And now, uh, now his action Jackson movie, which I've never seen, is on my list um, because uh, a lot of people keep on mentioning that as like one of his great movies. And I'm like, okay, I guess I have to see it now. <laughs> yep. So action Jackson on the list. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not giving it a, a recommend to people. I'm not telling you that's going to be awesome. I haven't seen it. But everybody's been telling me since uh, the day he passed that it, it's a great movie. So I'm going to check it out. Do it. Um, what else is what else is going on? Um, Pal World. Have you heard about this game? I've heard it's a brand new game. Uh, I don't know much about it. Okay, so Pal World basically took kind of the concept of Pokemon and wrapped it around an adventure game. All right, so, so you go around you go around uh, picking up monsters for cockfighting. Right, but instead of, you know, just throwing monsters at each other and, and them matching stats, and that's how the battle is decided. It's an actual fight that plays out before you in this sort of open world. And then your character, who has stats and gear and everything, and these pals, that's what they're called, that's why it's called Pal World, have their own stats and gear and everything, and they level up. So it's an adventure game just with the general concept of, uh, of Pokemon. Um, because you, you capture them in these gems. And then you use them in these battles to capture more of them. Um, and apparently Pokemon fans have been begging for this kind of thing for 20 years. To where you can fight beside your monsters so it's not just you know, watching your monsters match stats in really static battles. Now, I've never played a Pokemon game. I'm only relating what I've seen. Plus, on top of this, they've given you and the pals guns. So it's not just, you know, electricity and wind and fire. Attacks. Guns. Guns. I like it. Plus, they've added this base management to it to manufacture bigger and better guns and bombs and things like that. So you can capture these pals and breed them in pens and then use them to harvest materials that go into. Uh, forges to build the guns to use with your tougher pals to send take them out with you into the world. This is amazing. Plus, there's enemy bases of like bandits out there. They call them towers. And you can use your pals with chain guns to assault these bandit bases to get more materials to build bigger and better guns. 
I would like to do this. <laughs> Plus, apparently, um, some of the pals you can recycle if you don't have any more use for them anymore and turn into a uh, nutritional supplement. <laughs> To make later generation pals stronger. This is amazing. So the game is in early access on Steam. And uh, as of January 31st, which is like 12 or 13 days, and it, it costs $30 for a beta test version of the game. As of 12 or 13 days, it had sold 12 million copies. Okay, wow. Which is 2 million more than The Last of Us 2 did during its entire life. That's truly impressive. So last year, game developers were all upset because Baldur's Gate 3 was huge and intricate in eating their lunch. And their, you know, their screams were saying, no, you can't take this as the new standard. You can't take this as, as what games are going to be like in the future. We can't meet up to the standard of Larian, this independent studio. We can't do it. We're not going to do it. We're not going to even try. So literally a designer on The Last of Us 2 said, they can't have been doing this honestly. They must have been cheating. Wow. No awareness, no appreciation for skill. So, Nick, it, it's not Drummond, but it's something like that. Grummond, Grumpyman, whatever. Who said, fun does not exist in this dojo. I believe I may be paraphrasing. But that's kind of what he said when it came to making The Last of Us 2. Okay, you, you can quote me on that. Fun does not exist in this dojo, does it? And the no. entire crew of The Last of Us 2 replied, No sensei! And so, my reply or my response to his tweet, it wasn't Drummond, it, it, it was Druckmann. That's his name, Druckmann, Neil Druckmann. Sorry. I'm so, so bereft. I am so tortured. I am so desolate. 
at, at referring to him as Grumpy Man, that is obviously, obviously a huge slur on my part. I should not have said that. Absolutely. I, I shall give myself 30 lashes with a whip after the show uh, in recompense, in penance. Obviously, when the the programmer who is not Neil Druckmann said that they were cheating, that the PAL world developers were cheating to sell 12 million copies. And by the way, it was also on Xbox Game Pass. So it was available for free and got for free 7 million players. Wow. And got the second highest number over 2 million consecutive players on Steam. The second most highest number of consecutive players right behind Fortnite for a $30 beta test. Wow. So this game, when he said it was cheating, my response, and I didn't link him in, I didn't, you know, quote him or anything. I didn't want to get involved in that. My response is, yes, of course they're cheating. They made a game that was fun. <laughs> and in today's gaming industry, that's cheating. You're not allowed to do that. And Baldur's Gate 3 was also cheating. Sure was. Because they also made a game that was fun. Suicide Squad, pee on the bodies of the Justice League, isn't fun. What made Power World think it could be fun? Where do they get off? Where do they get this attitude thinking they can make a game fun? Don't they know it's 2024? We don't make fun games anymore. So I can see why that would be, would seem unfair. Because it is. I mean, you make a fun game and, and people then want to buy it. I mean, what the hell is that? <laughs> it's kind of suspicious if you ask me. That's a life hack, man. It's a cheat code. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, the reviews for Suicide Squad are in, and, and surprisingly, it's terrible. Really? Oh, yeah. I'm not joking that, that peeing on the corpse of this Justice League, that's not a 
apocryphal thing that really happens in the game. Um, so many other things that I don't want to talk about because I'm trying to be positive. I want to be a positive show and highlight positive things. But So I want to talk about the fun game. I just want to congratulate Pal World and the Pal World developers for making a game that has absolutely delighted people so much that it went viral for a first-time game. Literally the person who did the uh, art was a high school kid. The team was a bunch of people who had never programmed before. They didn't know anything about programming. And they hired one veteran dude. They've done this game in three years. They didn't cheat, by the way. They didn't cheat anything. They did this game in three years. And they hired one veteran dude who taught them how to learn to do um, Unreal Engine. So they were learning Unreal Engine all the time they were working on this. The guy decided to add guns and get this. The reason why is because he said, oh, yeah, Americans like guns, so we'll put it in. Brilliant. Unassailable. <laughs> I thought, wait a minute. You're adding features to the game because players will like them? Holy crap! When did that start? Can you imagine if that became a standard feature in the industry? That'd be wild. If every game company just decided, hey, why don't we start putting things in game that players just like? <laughs> All this other stuff that players don't like, we'll just leave it out. I'm picturing that that comic, you know the one, where the guys have the posters and the last dude says, is this something players are going to like? And then he gets tossed out the window. Yes. Yes. I'm thinking that's what AAA why don't we just Why don't we just build a game that's fun? Thrown out the window. Thrown out the window. Yeah, I'm picturing that's what AAA development has been like for the last decade. Oh, and uh, this isn't the first story. It's It's probably the biggest story, the biggest example, right? Who's making... You know, you don't need to have the big studio money to make a big splash. These people are punching well above their weight class. They're making a big splash because they make uh, small games with a small studio of people. Takes a little bit of time to get it out, but they just come out with something that's fun. It's, it's all that really matters. If the game is fun, gets in front of people's eyes, word, word of mouth spreads around, all of a sudden... You've got millions of sales. The developers are Japanese. And, and gun control is really big in Japan. So none of them know anything about guns. So they don't know what to do to put it in their game. And the guy who started this whole thing runs into this dude and just starts talking about him. And he happens to find, like, literally the one gun nut in all of Japan. <laughs> and he just can bring him on the team and he knows everything about guns and that's where they got their gun info 
this That's is amazing. Just a tiny team that put stuff together and worked really insanely hard to put a fun game together. They made it really easy to make your, your player character. Apparently you can custom. I haven't played it. I have downloaded it, but I haven't played it yet. Um, I downloaded it on Xbox Game Pass because I've got an Xbox. I haven't played it yet. They made it really easy to put together physically attractive characters. Like you can make your own player character pick their appearance. They made it easily to play to make gorgeous characters because they thought players like gorgeous characters. They sure I mean, do. You can make you can make ugly characters, and they kept it in because they thought, well, Americans sometimes like making really ugly characters, and that's kind of true too. But they made it possible to make really good-looking characters too because they thought that's possible. You know, that's popular. People like that. They just worked really hard to find people. They worked really hard to make their stuff. All of the pals are like obvious parodies of Pokemon, but they're different enough to be legally distinct, which is the best kind of distinct. Mm -hmm. um, so they can't get sued by Nintendo. And you know if Nintendo could have sued them, they would have already. Could spin out almost a month now. Oh, yeah. Because um, Nintendo sues like the very next day when you put up a video that's wrong or you know, artwork. They are famously one of the most litigious companies ever. But they just got this tiny crew of literally like four or five people um, and put together this game because they want to make money and they want to make something that players love. And it went viral because people love it, even in any kind of an unfinished buggy state. This lady i think she's a games journalist who said oh i hate this game this game is terrible it, it, it makes you do terrible things and then the very next line was i mean i played it for hours and hours and i defeated all the towers <laughs> and i'm like wait a minute what she literally said she hopes this game fails but she played all of the content that's currently in the game played it for hours and hours and apparently enjoyed herself. Curious. I mean, that, that says to me your hate is based not on the game, but on like being offended by it or thinking that she should be offended by it. But they've got a fun game on their hands. Um, and, and I just wish them well. I, I hope that as they continue, because they're already, they're still adding new stuff. They're using all the money they've gotten from this to continue expanding the game, to, to work towards making it the final game. They're not taking the money and running. I just saw an announcement. I, I went looking at their Twitter account before the show so I could see what the latest numbers were as far as sales went, uh, and the 19 million is the latest number. Um, I saw that back on the 31st. I was wondering if there was something else. Um, but, you know, I also saw an announcement that they added their 51st pal to their pal decks. Um, 
So they're they're making new art. They're adding new characters. You know, presumably they're quashing bugs behind the scene and and planning new content, planning new uh, towers or whatever. They're expanding things, and I'm just like, you know what, guys? Kudos to your work ethic. Kudos to your approach. And uh, best luck to you. If you and Larian and some other studio can keep on having phenomenal success. Um, oh, yeah. One of the other things I wanted to mention. Third Studio made something fabulous and fun. Do you remember the absolutely censored game? The game you weren't supposed to talk about because it literally caused people to die. It literally killed people if you bought it and played it and streamed it. I do not recall. Uh, it was um, the game about magic people who cast magic things, who rode on magic things with magic pieces of wood in their hand. Uh, I can't talk about it, but the author's name rhymes with... Uh, uh, a K Dowling. I see. I recall that controversy. Yeah. Seems you can't talk now. about it. Can't talk about it because people will literally die. So don't mention the name of the game. The game sold like 23 million copies last year. It was the best selling game of 2023. Best-selling game of 2023. Wow. So despite all of everybody in the press and everything ignoring it and people not reviewing it or whatever, did phenomenal gangbusters because it was fun. Hey, that's what matters. Again, I didn't play this one because I wasn't really the target audience. But, you know, those are three games came out the industry was offended by their very existence for various reasons and they knocked it out of the park i mean I, hey great for them yeah i mean i don't know what to say they're making games that are fun and 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 people are spending money on them meanwhile riot just laid off 1900 employees or Riot just laid off several thousand employees. Microsoft just laid off 1,900 employees across their gaming industries. The rumor that just came out a few days ago is that Microsoft is making all of their first player, all of their first party titles available on the PlayStation now. That's been the rumor for like the last three weeks. And Microsoft hasn't moved to deny it. People are thinking, Phil Spencer did a tweet today that said next week they're going to make an announcement about the future of Xbox. Um, and I have no solid information. Nobody has any solid information. So all the YouTubers are jumping to conclusions and saying, oh, Microsoft's exiting the console business. Oh, they're going to launch everything on the place. I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen. But it's a hard time for the AAA games industry because they haven't been making games that are fun. They've been making games that feature protagonists that are revolting in personality and revolting in looks. They've been making games that are not fun. They've been making games that basically exist to punish the players with horrible things, um, misery, 
uh, inducing games rather than enjoyment inducing games. And these three companies have come along and just done a great job. Even uh, CDPR, which has had some very worrying signs recently, has really tried to redeem itself with um, Cyberpunk 2077 and the newest uh, 2.0 and 2.1 updates for and Phantom Liberty for Cyberpunk 2077 are awesome. They're really good. So, yeah. It looks like fun may be in for uh, game companies who are willing to, uh, you know, go back that way. And game companies who aren't willing to go back that way are going to start shutting down. Like, uh, I believe it was Volition did for the New Saints Row. And it looks like Rocksteady may have just uh, screwed the pooch so hard with Suicide Squad that they they may be uh, about to collapse because it has bombed terribly. Uh, it is just dreadfully awful. That's what you get. Um, I cannot uh, I cannot confirm nor deny any Microsoft rumors. Um, that's just me bragging. <laughs> Bragging that you know nothing. That's good, though. Um, yeah, so th- that was the news I wanted to talk about. I didn't know I was going to talk about that long. But, yeah, it's it's sad. I mean, I love video games. Um, and uh, I just – I wish the gaming industry – would go back to making games that people love. I wish they'd get over themselves, you know? Oh, yeah. Get over trying to think they're better than the people who play their games. Uh, Because that's really what it is. They think they're better than the people who buy their games. And um, just start making games for their audience and stop trying to... Uh, preen is the word P-R-E-E-N and that is sort of um, sort of what a male penguin does when he struts up and down in front of a uh, female penguin fluffing his feathers out so you can see the beautiful colors in the morning air that's preening uh only this is sort of a, you know, social or moral preening. I really wish they'd stop preening and instead just get into the trenches and make something great again. Um, but it, it seems like the ones that are doing that, whether they're small or large, are succeeding. And the ones that refuse to do that are either shutting down or facing massive, massive uh, layoffs. I don't know. It, it's a bloodbath across the industry and I'm not I'm not cheering it on. I'm not saying, oh, that's great for all these people losing their jobs. It's not great. but they've got to stop 
making garbage. Yep. And that may offend people. How dare you say we're making garbage? Well, I the dare sure it fits. It's, yeah, I dare it because it's true. That's how dare I dare it. <laughs> I don't know. That's all I had to say about that, though. Well, all right. I, I think you wanted to talk about some uh, old movies. We can shift to other stuff. Oh, darn it, War Pig. Unfortunately, most of the movies coming out these days are also crap. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, it's very rare that good movies come out. And even when good movies come out, they're only usually like partly good. They're not as really good as, as movies have been in the past. Um, and that's not just like people are like oh that's just nostalgia you're just looking at the past through rose-colored glasses you're just remembering your childhood and i'm like well what i just did is i have watched three movies that came out before i was born or when I was so young that I, if I had seen them, and I don't think I did, but if I had seen them, I couldn't remember them because I was literally like two years old. Um, so I watched Airport, Airport 75, which was its, you know, sequel. Um, and uh, I also watched... The Poseidon Adventure. I also watched True Lies, which came out in my 20s, so that's something different. Um, but I want to talk about the really old movies. You know, these are movies that came out with people who were huge stars, kind of in their youth or middle-aged, uh, during the time of these movies, but, you know, by the time I knew them as stars, they were older. Like, the Poseidon Adventure has Gene Hackman, and it's a really young Gene Hackman. You're like, wow, that's that's crazy. Um, Airport 75 has Charlton Heston, who is apparently the same age he's always been <laughs> ever. He, he didn't get old until, I think, 2000, so... You're just like, oh, yeah, that's the same Charlton Heston from 1961, <laughs> even though it's 1973 when they made. OK, he just never got older. I don't know how that happened. Um, but Airport had Dean Martin in it, and he looked like just Dean Martin. It had Mr. Roper from uh, Three's Company. Uh that's the Don character. Knotts? Don, no, no, no. The other, the other, uh, Don Knotts was one of the, uh, was one of the landlords. There was another landlord on the show too. Everybody just remembers Don Knotts, but there was another set of landlords, a man and his wife. Um, maybe I got the name of the character wrong, but it was the other landlord on that show. 
Um, he was on the airplane. Um, and uh, there was just, uh, I mean, it was an all-star cast. Um, and all of these people, if you had seen the movies of my childhood, uh, Jacqueline Bissett was on it, and she was really young. Uh, and I'd never seen anything with Jacqueline Bissett on it, her being really, really young. And she was so gorgeous. I mean, she was just, uh, if, if you don't, and I had never seen Jacqueline Bissett that young. I'd never seen her in a movie that young. I'd never really understood people saying, oh yeah, Jacqueline Bissett is so amazingly gorgeous. And then I watched this movie. Uh, two nights ago, and I'm like, oh, wow, I get it now. I absolutely get why people say she's just stunning. Um, because uh, she is. She's just amazing. She captures the screen whenever she's on the screen. She's up against Dean Martin, who has a lot of charisma. I mean, he's just, you know, shining with charisma. Um, and they share a lot of scenes together, but she is so beautiful that she just draws your eye. And Dean Martin is barely holding his own against her. Um, Airport is a phenomenal movie. It's based on a novel by Arthur Haley. And it's, it is a great example of how you can get characterization in in a really, really tiny amount of time. They give personalities and stories and stakes to all these characters in such a small amount of time. And part of that is the, uh, you know, casting of the actors who look the part and sound the part. Part of it is the performance of the actors. They've got solid actors, even in small roles, who pull off their roles. But part of it is the economy of the writing, where things just work to keep the story moving. Now, I'll be honest, I have read about the first fifth of the book at Boy Scout camp once. They had a stack of like eight books uh, at the Boy Scout camp, and I read like the first fifth of it, and I wanted to come back and finish it, but uh, it's been, I was like 15, so it's been so many years, and I never have. So I was kind of a little bit familiar with it, but I've never finished the book. So the movie does the book, and the adaptation has to be phenomenal because it doesn't feel like either choppy, where they, you know, did a direct adaptation of the book and just chopped out things in the middle and squeezed it together, nor does it feel um, like you're missing huge bits, like there's something going on that you don't know about and you don't understand. 
you're given all the information you needed to understand the entire movie. The characters are given all the development they needed to make them seem human and make you feel empathy for them. They're written like human beings. They have dialogue that makes them seem human. They don't seem like a collection of stereotypes just talking to each other. And you could see them and see how they could easily be stereotypical, but man, they are just not. And it's so refreshing. It's got Burt Lancaster in it as the general manager of an airport. It has got, um, if you've ever seen Cool Hand Luke, uh, you may remember Joe Kennedy being the friend who challenges him to eat all the eggs. Um, who's just the big friend of Cool Hand Luke. He's in it as Joe Petroni, who's the um, who's the head of all the maintenance people there. Um, and it's got Maureen Stapleton in it, who is a huge actress. It's got Barbara Hale, who uh, stars in, oh, the big lawyer show. Who's everybody's favorite lawyer? The big black and white lawyer show who always won. Perry Mason. Perry Mason. She's Perry Mason's secretary. She's in it. Um, and it is just such a fabulous movie. This isn't a spoiler because this happens in literally like one of the first few scenes of the movie. Um there are literally seven stories that kind of entwine of seven people who are having problems on this one airport in a cold, super snowy winter's night. A pilot who is landing a plane tries to turn too sharply onto a side... Um, onto a side jetway so he park his plane and he gets stuck in the snow. And so he's blocking an entire runway, one of the two runways at the airport. So they have to shut that runway down. And then there's an emergency that happens on board another plane. And the only way they can land and save the 120 passengers on board is to move this plane off. While at the same time, they've got a medical emergency on the plane in the air and a mechanical emergency on the plane in the air and a flying emergency on the plane in the air. And there are various um, passengers doing crazy things. And uh, the general manager of the airport has his wife who is busting in on him during this emergency announcing that she's going to divorce him. Wow. All of these problems are going on in this just incredibly long night. Um, and the movie moves quickly. It fits together. It is, you know, very emotional, but it's not overly emotional. It's not melodramatic. They don't try to push your buttons too much. They just let the material be the material. Let the performances be the performance. And it is such a marvelous movie. Um, Jerry Seinfeld 
has an actor who's Jason Alexander, the bald guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, George. George. George Costanza. His father, Mr. Costanza. I forget what his name is. That actor is in this movie. He, he's a drunk who's on the airplane with his two friends. His two friends are panicking throughout, throughout this entire ordeal. And he is the luckiest man on the plane because he has had so much alcohol, he's gone into a blackout, and he has no idea what's going on. He just blacked out. He <laughs> doesn't wake up <laughs> until everything's over. It's one way to do it. It's a, it's a tiny little bit. I bet his entire arc, his entire section of the movie doesn't have more than a, a minute of screen time. But it's there. And it's a little bit of levity. And it's perfectly in line with what you can see actually happening on a plane like that. And it's marvelous. It's just marvelous. Um, so airport, I, I cannot recommend uh, highly enough. It's fun. It is, it's a disaster movie. That's the point of it. It's got great characterization, great actors. I mean, these are, you know, Dean Martin, Burt Lancaster. These are Hollywood legends. Um, they all turn in great performances. It's got a taut plot. It doesn't waste your time. And uh, it, uh, it, was, it was just a, a joy to watch. It doesn't lecture you. Amazing. I don't know what to say. You said it all. Except, except for people who say, "Oh, you just like these movies because you're looking on them with rose-colored glasses." You you're looking back to your child. This is the first time I've ever seen this movie. I've literally never seen this movie before, so I have no preconceived notions except, okay, you know, I want to see if this is if this is a good movie. Um. Airport 75 is a direct sequel to this. The first one was um, a huge success. Airport 75 is not as good a movie. They forgot to make, uh, they forgot to focus on the little pieces of drama that made the characters human. They tried, but the writer of this movie did not do as well. Um, and it came out three years later, and so it's a lot more 70s than the previous one. Or maybe the writer just tried to hip it up because instead of being a adaptation of Arthur Haley's of an Arthur Haley novel, it was a studio making a sequel, and they brought in some younger and cheaper writers who thought, Hey man, I know how to do this. We want to make this hip and happen, and we want to make this, you know, for the modern audiences. So the pilots, who are like older pilots, are speaking in uh, slang talk from the 70s. Um, they're using dig and dig it, and they're pushing harder on some of the 70s uh, 
cultural sexual revolution stuff. They do some very quick shots of a couple who are panicking when the plane is going through its problems. And although it isn't obvious by what's going on, and it isn't logistically feasible, so anyone watching the movie, it isn't obvious, but if you're an adult, it's meant to recommend to your mind the fact that this couple who is obviously very much uh, in love and all over each other decided that if this plane was going to crash, they were going to cuddle under the covers and do some quote-unquote active cuddling before they died. Um, it's very quick. They don't dwell on it. It's not, you know, it wouldn't earn your movie an R rating or anything, but they are hinting at it enough that adults would get it, but it, it would fly over the heads of any kids who are in the theater. Um, I thought that was funny. Um, I don't know. Um, but yeah, that that's a great moment. I'm not saying it was a good moment or a great moment, but it was like, oh. Uh, yeah, I can see that being something a young Hollywood writer would stick in there. And I don't know that this was a young Hollywood writer. I didn't check up. Maybe it was an old Hollywood writer who you know, was trying to do what the studio wanted and, and just put stuff in there that the studio wanted. I don't know. Or the director wanted or whatever. But that's, that's the sort of stuff that wasn't in the first one. And just three years later, they were putting it in the second one. On the other hand, they did have nuns on board. And, you know, they had this girl, Linda Blair the actress who was still really young at the time, uh, who was in The Exorcist uh, just three years earlier. Um, Linda Blair was there. She plays a girl who uh, is on dialysis. She's flying to LA for a, a kidney transplant. And so she absolutely has to get there on time. This plane doesn't have the same problem from the first one. Instead, it has a, a small pilot who's flying his own private plane crashes into the side of the cockpit, tears a hole open in the cockpit. The co-pilot goes flying out. Um, pieces of the interior torn off. The, uh, the engineer gets killed. The pilot gets um, blinded. And so the stewardess has to fly. This, this one, Airport 75, was the direct antecedent of the airplane parody. This movie is what Airplane is parodying. Um, uh, I mean, it's I've parodying... Seen, I've seen Airplane three or four times. I never knew that. It, it's parodying the whole series, but it's most directly parodying this. Like, you know, uh, you have the two nuns on the plane, there are two nuns on this plane. You have the two nuns reading Boy's Life and the two Boy Scouts reading Nun's Life. Um, in this in this movie, you have two little old ladies in the back reading some tantric sex book. Uh, that's why I say this movie, you know, very 70s in its in its approach to morality. Um, and, uh, you know, you have two, two football players in the back that get a couple of lines, and they took that and expanded the role of those guys to where they're jive-talking with the stewardess. Um, 
you have a, a pilot who hasn't been a pilot for a while who comes up um, and, uh, you know, has to kind of pilot with the help of the stewardess. Well, in this movie, and, and this is where it gets so very 80s. I don't know if you've seen Executive Decision with Kurt Russell, um, where they have to sneak him on board a plane to, um, you know, to try and stop terrorists on the plane. So they have a stealth plane come up underneath and it has kind of a, a, a tube that attaches and they can sneak inside. I have never seen that. You've never seen Executive Decision? Nope. I, I don't even own you. I disown you. Um, <laughs> in this movie, it is so 80s. I cannot believe they did this in the 70s and not the 80s. I cannot believe they haven't redone this in the 2000s or 2010. Somebody I just had to have ripped this off later. I'm shocked they haven't. They've got this big hole in the cockpit and they're flying, the plane is flying as slow as it can without stalling. And they bring this gigantic helicopter up. They lower this Navy major, who is also a, a pilot, who's checked out on 707 cargo planes. It's 747 that they're having problems with. And they lower him and lower him and lower him. And he gets just barely up to this hole and is almost able to get into the hole when, bam, his his uh, cord release gets ripped by some of the debris, and he goes flying off and dies. And then Charlton Heston says, damn it, send me down there. It is Charlton Heston voice, and his friend's like, no, I'm not letting you go there. Is there anybody else in this helicopter who is rated to fly a 747? So then they send Charlton Heston down there. And the whole disaster with the major, he's ripped out some of the debris and the, and the stewardess has ripped out, has moved some of the debris and it's just barely enough to lower him on this line from this Air Force helicopter into the plane, <laughs> through the hole in the cabin. Wow. And it is both the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen and also unbelievably awesome. <laughs> it's just great. Um, and then he's in the airplane. So the funny thing is, is they have to divert from Los Angeles to Salt Lake City. And I, they must have shot at Salt Lake City. Because the TV news station that goes driving out to cover this on the runway is KSL5, which is a local Salt Lake City news station. I live in New York. Uh -huh. That's funny. Um, and all the mountains look like Salt Lake Mountains. I mean, it looks like the Wasatch Front. Um, and it looks like when they're inside the uh, air traffic control tower, Either they shot B-roll of the Wasatch, you know, front and, and put it on a green screen or, or just, you know, back in those days, they had uh, actual movie screens that they would shoot camera against. They would run camera reels against them. They didn't do green screen or anything like that. But it looks like Salt Lake. So I'm like, 
I mean, it may not have been Salt Lake. It might have been, you know, Canada or someplace in California or whatever. But it, it looked like Salt Lake. It was credibly Salt Lake. And I was like, hey, it looks enough like Salt Lake to fool me. And I've been living in this state for, you know, a few decades. That's unusual. I, uh, I think I don't think they transitioned to doing everything in Vancouver until the 80s. Uh, that was... Uh, it's late 80s stuff like the x files and um no so earlier than that yeah they were still shooting lots of stuff on location so that's cool cool trivia um i mean i, I don't know where they shot it but it looked enough like salt lake for me to go yeah I, i'll accept that as salt lake I, mean, I don't know if it was or wasn't but i'll accept it yeah probably um, so yeah it wasn't as good as the first one um but, you know, it was still fun. It was still two hours of fun that I didn't regret. And it has Charlton Heston in it. And, you know, Charlton Heston always does a great job. I, I have seen not great movies with Charlton Heston in them. But I've never seen Charlton Heston do a bad job in any movie of his. Uh, and so it was enjoyable. wasn't as good as the first. Um. The Poseidon Adventure is about a huge, huge cruise ship by the standards of the time. I mean, by modern standards, it's, you know, it's a little boat in a bathtub, a little toy boat. Modern cruise liners are just, I've never seen them. I've never been on them, but I've heard comparisons and stuff, and they're just, you know, phenomenally huge. This is a huge cruise ship. This is back when we were talking about airplane earlier. Um, the actor on Airplane became spoof comedy actor. What's his name? Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen. Before he was on Airplane, he was a serious, or on Police Files, he was a serious, dramatic actor. Like, he was straightforward, grim-faced, dramatic actor. He never did comedy. So this movie is one of the times he's in a dramatic role. He's a captain of the ship, and it's kind of, I've never seen any of his movies. I've never watched any of the Naked Gun movies. I've never seen Airplane. Um, but I've seen clips from them, and he just has kind of suffused the culture with his, with his uh, comedic presence. I've seen so many clips of him from those movies that you can't escape thinking of him as that goofy guy. And then I watched this movie, and he is absolutely dead serious. And it gave me this, like, mental whiplash. He's not in a lot of the movie. He just has a bit part. But it still gives you this mental whiplash. Because you keep on expecting to turn to the camera and just do something thoroughly goofy. Um, it's about a cruise ship and a massive storm. She gets hit by this huge wave and flips upside down. And people have to struggle to survive, to get rescued. Um, and it is much like the first airplane movie, where they have strong moments of drama that they're not there to just introduce you to the characters. This is where modern movies have got it wrong. 
they think you need modern drama so that you will care about the characters so that when they die, you will feel empathy for them. Be like, oh, so-and-so died. I liked him so much. And then all the YouTubers who dissect movies, that's all they talk about. Oh, yeah, well, they didn't give him enough introduction for me to care why a human being died. I mean, I don't care why a human being died unless you spend five minutes telling me he's got a dog named Old Yeller. And I'm like, guys, these movies make it clear that it isn't about making you care about these characters if they die. It's about humanizing them and telling a story that these moments have an effect on the plot. It isn't humanizing them so you care about them when they die. It's introducing things that will affect the plot later. A husband and wife argue at the dinner table, and it's brought up that when they first got married, uh, she's a little embarrassed. When they first got married, she was a championship swimmer, and she was svelte and thin, and now she's really overweight. But he loves her so much, he wishes she would stop talking about how overweight she was because he loves her so much, and they go on and so forth. And that actually comes into play later because she's a championship swimmer on a boat that's sinking. And if you can see where that might have some application later, yes, it does affect the plot. It's not about you knowing these characters so you'll care about them when they die, although that may be a side effect. It's about telling a flipping story. And all of the sub-stories in Airport and the sub-stories in The Poseidon Adventure follow from who the characters are. And I think that bad criticism, as I've seen in the, uh, in the written fiction world, bad criticism has set up rules that writers follow because they think that these are good rules to follow when you're writing a novel or when you're writing a story or when you're writing a movie. Um, and my recommendation is always be wary of rules that have been set up by critics because they've never made stories, they've never written stories, and they don't necessarily know what they're talking about. You should never put something in a story that isn't going to have an effect on the story itself. Whether it's a distraction from something important that's going to go on in the story, or it leads up to something that's going to happen later, or it reveals motivations of a character that will happen later, or it causes events that will happen later, whatever it does, it has to matter. Maybe all it matters is it sets up the ambience of an area that's fine. Description that makes you feel emotions related to the setting that events are going to happen in. It puts you in the mood. All right? 
putting the audience in a mood is important and and that's a good reason to have something there that's worthwhile but just description for the sake of description because somebody tells you description needs to be there or just giving backstory of a character because you think it will humanize the character so that the audience cares when they dies that's not good enough it has to matter and in airport and in the poseidon adventure the little hints of character backstories that happen matter and you get little hints of other character backstories too so that you don't know right from the beginning who's going to survive right you can't immediately pick out oh these eight people are the ones getting all the plot development therefore they're going to survive everybody else dies well, obviously they don't get plot developed all 100 and something passengers but there's you know several people who do so when some of them don't make it, you're like, oh, I didn't expect them to, to pass on. They're skillful with what they do. I think if writers would listen less to critics who don't know what they're talking about and learn to develop their instincts as writers and learn how to make things matter, that... Um, or learn how to make choices so that those things will matter later. If you've put something describing things earlier in because you needed it for the ambiance, take a look at that element and make it matter later. Just keep it in the back of your mind. Think about how that can matter later. And add it in. Doesn't have to be a big thing. Doesn't have to you know, be the fulcrum on which the entire plot turns. turns. But think about how it can matter later. So anyways, um, for many of the same reasons that Airport was good, um, the Poseidon Adventure is also good. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And again, this one happens to be a movie I did see as a kid, and I uh, remembered some of it. But seeing it again as an adult, it had been, oh... 40 years since I've saw it, saw it last, or 30-something years since I have seen it last. Um, it is phenomenal, great characterization, solid performances, and uh, I would have changed how some of the scenes played out. Um, again, it was a little too 70s with one of the characters. Gene Hackman is a former priest, and I would have definitely changed how his character developed over the course of the movie. Um, I would have made that more satisfying for the audience. I think the audience would have appreciated his journey more if they had gone with that instead of going with the nihilistic 70s kind of approach. Um, but it's still a, a fabulous movie, uh, a great movie. Um, okay, we still have about eight minutes left before we're officially over the overtime um true lies is a james cameron movie made with arnold schwarzenegger arnold schwarzenegger saw a french farce about a husband and wife who got caught up in 
uh, marital problems and also the husband is a spy. And so the wife gets dragged into his spy world and he took it to James Cameron and said, I want to do this. And James Cameron said, yes, but instead of a French farce, we're going to make this a monumental action blockbuster. Sounds <laughs> about right. I'm like, well, heaven bless James Cameron because that's why I love this movie. I wouldn't have loved it as much if it were a farce. Um, it's an awesome movie. It's a great movie. It's a fun movie. And it is the most, I. Uh, it is the possibly the one movie I have been the most bitter about that there is never a sequel. It also had Charlton Heston in it, and he turned in a great performance with tiny amount of screen time. It had Tom Arnold in it, who turned in a phenomenal performance in the character he was given. He just, he really knocked it out of the park. He was so fun to watch. Um, it, it's been decades. Uh, these movies have not been literal decades since iTunes started selling movies. Okay, so decade and a half since iTunes started selling movies. And uh, I've been waiting for James Cameron movies, uh, specifically The Abyss and True Lies, and been very irate that those two had not been available. And uh, those two just barely became available literally last month. So I bought The Abyss and I bought True Lies. I watched True Lies. I have not watched The Abyss. I plan on, and I haven't seen either of those since like the 90s. So it's been 25, 30 years since I've seen either of those. So I'm watching them or will have, will have been watching it in the case of The Abyss uh, with new eyes. And I can say that the Abyss, uh, or that uh, True Lies is absolutely fun. It's phenomenal. It's got a, it, it's an action comedy. It's got a lot of comedic moments in it. Um, it's got a lot of just super great action moments in it. And I enjoyed it thoroughly. Just from top to bottom. Um, it's got Jamie Lee Curtis in it who plays his wife, uh, and she does an amazing job of it. It's got um, Bill Paxton in it, who plays this uh, really, really scummy used car dealer. He's trying that, to... Love that guy. <sighs> Bill Paxton is always great. Uh, he's always turned in solid performances. Again, I've seen Bill Paxton in not good movies, but I've never seen Bill Paxton do a bad job. Um, it's got, uh, Faith the Vampire Slayer, and I can't remember her name now, and I'm so sorry for that. Um, Eliza Dushku? She, Eliza Dushku, also in Dollhouse. Um, she's in it, she plays Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter. She's a, you know, young, young girl in this movie. This is long before her, her glory days in Buffy, um. She plays Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter who gets kidnapped by terrorists. Um, and it has uh, Cassandra from the very uh, first. Um, oh, why can't I remember her name? She's so gorgeous. 
Um, I'm just going to have to take just a moment, and we, we call this vamping. Tia Carrera is in it. Um, and yeah. she is... You were thinking Wayne's World. Wayne's World, yeah, from the first Wayne's World. She is so gorgeous, um, and she plays a villain in this movie, and she is so gorgeous and so villainous, and it's just a marvelous role. Um, and the terrorists, you simply physically impossible to have these kinds of terrorists in movies or TV shows anymore. You can't do it. It's illegal. Uh, I don't mean literally illegal, but I, I think they literally end your career in Hollywood if you write these kinds of terrorists anymore. Um, they are terrorists of a, a particular persuasion. If you understand my oblique reference. I don't. Um, people get very, people of a particular political affiliation get enraged at these kinds of terrorists. They come from specific, they tend to come from specific region of the world. Um, and you're not allowed to have them anymore. Um, Anyways, um, but it's just a marvelous movie. Uh, they blow up a Key West island. Arnold Schwarzenegger flies a Harrier jet um, and shoots. It just trashes an office building with it. it it's so gorgeous. He chases down a motorcycle on a horse. Um, he, him and his wife get kidnapped by the terrorists and he has to, he has to reveal to his wife that he is literally a spy and he goes on secret assignments all over the world. So she finds out about his secret life because he has been pretending to be a computer salesman all his life. And it's just, it's a delightful movie. It's a fabulous, um, action movie and I cannot recommend it more highly so I would highly recommend True Lies I would highly recommend um, The Poseidon Adventure I would highly recommend Airport and I would recommend Airport 75 as uh, a good way to kill a couple of hours um, sounds good I can I can echo True Lies. I I haven't gone back and revisited it. Maybe I should, but um, I I do recall really enjoying that. You know, James Cameron blockbuster action movie. Love it. So yeah, those are those are my reviews for today. And look, we we finished right on overtime. <laughs> <laughs> finished in overtime again. We did it. Well, it was good to get a sort of blast from the past. You can go all the way back to the 70s and find some really good stuff when uh, when it's February. And even when you're not in February, uh, movie makers aren't coming out with much quality uh, these oh, days. I was going to go see Argyle today. That was my plan for today's show. But unfortunately, um, the other vehicle was in the shop. And so I did not have access to the vehicle. So... Um, Maybe next week. I'm not sure. I don't know. 
Uh, that sounds positively dreadful. I, uh, I hope you don't hate it too much. Um, but I was really uh, looking forward to it. It's got Henry Cavill in it. Yeah. It's got kind of the, you know, kind of that uh, romancing the stone vibe. To it. Which is another old movie you should absolutely see. I just watched that within the last couple of years. That's a classic. See, people don't realize that in Hollywood. Um, and maybe, you know, that's because people haven't gotten the taste for it yet. They haven't gone back and watched enough old movies to get the taste for old movies. And I haven't either. I'm not trying to brag like, oh, yeah, man, I sit down to old movies all the time. You know, that's just who I am. I love them. No, I, I don't watch old movies. I, I've never really watched old movies. This was just a, a lark. I got off on a disaster movie lark because there was a literally a sale on them on itunes i bought like four of them um and so i i was just like hey i want to watch some old movies and there happened to be a or, or some disaster movies there happened to be a sale i i also have uh towering inferno i haven't yet to see that i wanted to watch um so i'm gonna watch towering inferno at some point um but it's definitely opened my eyes if you go looking for like the best of xx decade or the best xx movies um you know there are some real real gems out there i i i know for a fact there's a lot of sludge they make bad movies too uh or or if not sludge a lot of like mediocre movies that you may not like a, a lot of boring movies that you may not like um i was suckered into a bad movie a few days ago uh, I've had people saying, oh, yeah, Night of the Demons, man. It's a classic 80s horror movie. Oh, yeah, you got to see this. It's a classic. So I watched Night of the Demons. It was awful. Uh, it was boring. It wasted its premise. Um, it was meandering. And I don't mind a low-budget movie, but uh, this movie just, for the budget it had, it did not use its budget well. Because with the actors it had and the sets it had and the special effects it had, it could have had a story that was a lot more interesting and a lot more cool. Uh, and it just didn't do it. Um, so that was like, you know, our 45 minutes of my life, it was absolutely wasted. If you ever hear anyone say, Night of the Demons is a classic movie. It's about these kids who go to a haunted house and they... Uh, have a party, and uh, one of them gets possessed, and, and all these horrible things happen. You should watch it. They are lying to you. <laughs> they are lying to you. They are not your friend. They have seen it and suffered, and they wish to bring you into the circle of suffering, okay? They want to bring you into the circle of suffering with them. I have been there. I am telling you. Do not go into the circle of suffering. It's just not worth it. It's boring. That's what it is. Above anything else, it's boring. The story is stupid and doesn't make sense. And I like horror movies. I like low-budget horror movies. I've watched uh, most of your mainline Friday the 13th movies. I've watched um, most of your mainline... Um, I've watched a lot of other 80s horror movies and, and loved them, but not, not this one. 
it's just not worth it. I love the War Pig list of movies to not watch. The list goes grow, grows longer every week. Well, uh, what do you say you ra- we wrap it up for this one? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just <laughs> saying, you know, just because it's old doesn't mean it's good. I'm not one of those people who says, oh, yeah, old movies are so much better. And say, anything old is good. No, anything old is not good. But I'm telling you, those movies I've talked about today, uh, three of them are great. One of them is good. So... You know, this is not blind endorsement of something I do all the time just because it's just something I've started recently. And uh, these I just happen to be lucky that these ones actually are good. Good to hear. Well, um, it was fun talking to you about the old movies and stuff. We hope to do it again sometime. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure that you're going to assure me and everybody else that we'll be back to do it again sometime. Uh, but uh, thanks for hanging out in the chat, guys. And I uh, hope everybody listening later enjoys the reviews. Uh, but I'm signing off for the week, Daddy Warpig. Um, folks, we want to thank you for listening live. And everyone who uh, listens later, we want to thank you, too. Thanks, everybody who participates in the chat. Uh, we are at youtube.com slash geekgab. Once again, that's youtube.com slash geekgab. This has been our show for Monday, February 5th, 2024. Uh, We're here just about every Monday, Monday, just about the same time, which is 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. You can subscribe to us. Don't forget to click the bell so you will get a notice when we go live. We're also available on the iTunes Store. We're available on the uh, SoundCloud.com, and we're available on the Google Play Store, so you can listen to us on the web or download us to the device of your choice. Just do a search for Geek Gap. We are signing out for today, folks, but don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.